Hi, my name's Derwin, and this is episode four of Late to Formation. On my second time through combat medic school in late spring of 2009, I was assigned to Bravo Company 232 Medical Battalion. I was one of the prior service students, even though I was a private first class. I wasn't the new guy anymore, and that's a wonderful feeling. And we used to stay up and study a lot, because I remembered my first time through just how important studying was, and being very driven by my academic failure. The whole first three years of my army career was driven by my academic failure from medic school, practically. I knew what not to do. And as we were studying one night, we're, you know, there's six stalls all lined up next to each other. And then there's like 12 sinks and, and it's a giant army latrine. And then we hear this voice come from one of the stalls saying, Hey, you guys know I'm watching porn in here, right? And I was like, do you want us to go? And he was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> After a while, you kind of desensitized right because you got a hundred dudes all living in it one giant room with rows of bunks so the more polite ones take it to the latrine stall we'll say as a prior service soldier we had a lot of privileges that the initial entry training soldiers didn't have you know we could go to a place called the nco club on post and the one time i remember going there there was a West Point reunion going on, and there were these two colonels at the bar, right? They probably several drinks in at the time we got there. And it was me and a couple of my buddies who were prior service Marines. And we're just sitting there talking to the colonels, and the colonels were buying the shots. Dude, they're just cool dudes. And, and those same buddies of mine, one of those names was Dan. And Dan and I would go out to the Riverwalk quite a bit. Now, the Riverwalk was this awesome stretch in the middle of downtown San Antonio where the San Antonio River runs directly through the city and there's all these bars and restaurants and stores lined up and down the river and I found my first piano bar while in combat medic training I was walking down the cobblestone river walk and I walk in and I get a beer and I have a seat and then I see this sign next to a man playing the piano that says, we'll play song for tips, right? So I had like a five or a one or something I put in there and I wrote down piano man. And I'm sure that was the 80th time he's played piano man that day, but it was the first time I had been in a piano bar where a piano man sang the song piano man. Yeah, that was something special. We discovered this movie theater that served whiskey, right, with movies. And in 2009, when this took place, that was kind of a novel concept for me. We saw Terminator Salvation in theaters, right? And I remember uh, I had an old-fashioned, and I'm sitting there watching this movie, and I'm getting a good buzz, and I'm thinking, you know what, I'm having a great time. I think, God, this movie sucks. <laughs> like, this is a terrible film. <laughs> and I found my buddy Raj down there at the Riverwalk one day. And Raj, Raj had five kids. That's a lot of kids. 
And so, since Raj had five kids, him being with us uh, at combat medic school, he got to kind of not be dad for a little bit, which I'm sure having five children at home was a lovely break. And I find Raj kind of by himself drinking, you know, he's drunk as a skunk and turns to me and goes, hey man, let's jump in the river. And I'm like, hey bud, let's get you a cab. <laughs> like, and so I, I, we, I held a cab down for him and then I handed the cab driver $20 and I was like, can you just drop him off at the barracks, please? And I remember I came back from the river walk one night and Johnny was walking around in the barracks, drunk as a skunk, naked as the day he was born. Our barracks was on the second floor. And so Johnny walking around the rows of bunks and then walks over to a window, opens the window and then pees out the window. And he looks back at me and just smiles. I remember this one time, it was probably like a Saturday and We've gotten back to the barracks, and for some reason, I'm drunk sitting on the latrine floor, and this guy pulls out what looks to be a bag of cocaine and says, hey, man, do you like to party? And I was like, nah, <laughs> I'm good, man. <laughs> no, 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 thank you. <laughs> there were, like, I remember a guy who... Who used to like to hit the air duster, like the keyboard cleaner, right? He used to huff it, and uh, he passed, you know. And I, it was, it was. There was a lots of different routes to success in the combat medic school, apparently. The fourth test was the one that sunk me for the first time I went through. And my second time through, I passed it uh, with flying colors. Well, I passed it. <laughs> I had a 72 average throughout the course. I had some retest I had to take, but not nearly as many as the first time. There was a group of us, about five of us that were medic school dropouts that had decided to re-enlist and go back and give it a second try. And a couple of times, the five of us ended up at the same retest. And we all kept looking at each other and we'd say, listen, we're not going to be here for a third time. We're going to get this right on the second go. I think three out of five of us did, which some people it wasn't meant to be. That, that's okay, you know wasn't meant for me on the first try and the big scary test at the halfway point was the national registry for emergency medical technicians exam and i remember when i took the test i had a low-grade fever and i felt like garbage and it was a smart test which was a new concept for me at the time where it pulled from a bank of 10,000 questions and it adapted to your level of proficiency, right? Like if you had a really smart answer, then it gave you a harder question. It wasn't what's the right answer, but what's the most correct answer? Like all four responses are correct, but some are more correct than others. 
and I was so nervous when I took it. There was no set time limit. You know, it was unique to the individual, so you couldn't quite game it. There was no strategy for beating the test. You couldn't outsmart the algorithm. You just had to know your stuff. And I think I was in the chair for about an hour. And then I was done with the test. And I went back to the barracks. And I went to sleep. <laughs> and then I woke up. And I took my results. And then I said I passed with a 75. <laughs> and... I was so amazed. I had actually done it. I was only halfway through the course. You know, I wasn't done yet, but I had passed through the NREMT exam, which is something that many, many people never did. I remember this staff sergeant was speaking to the platoon. I think he was one of the instructors at the course and said, uh, if you guys get A's, you ace every test, you're probably gonna take the NREMT three times. But if you get C's, you take retest, you know, you're just barely hanging in there. You're probably going to pass on a first time go. And I was like, yes, that's me. <laughs> I'm that guy. And the course still had a 50% failure rate when I was going through my second try. And although I could kind of see where things were a little bit looser than they were the first time through. Or maybe I was just more scared the first time through and didn't notice could be either one but when I got to the hands-on practical portion of the course where I'm learning about tourniquets I'm doing IV sticks on people it was very tactile and kind of made sense as a medic you had to you had this idea where you had to hurt people to help them sometimes right you got to stick a needle in somebody to give them a flu shot and the course wrapped up with a week spent out in the field I remember hiding cans of Copenhagen whiskey blend long cut in my Kevlar body armor because it was contraband, so we weren't supposed to have it out in the field. But, you know, there was a pouch there that was kind of easy to sneak stuff in and out. I had a ton of it on me. And when we were out there, there was one washer and like two dryers or something. It wasn't a lot. You had the ability to launder your uniforms, right? But if you wanted to wash your stuff, you had to wait like forever so there's a couple times i had girls doing my laundry for me because i was supplying them tobacco <laughs> and there's a picture of me that's pretty cool it's the coolest picture of me that'll ever ever be taken where i'm running and you know they, they teach you how to carry somebody over your shoulders right and there's one picture of me and i'm like 21 22 like there's no way i could do this now or even five years ago where i'm running 300 meters with this guy on my shoulder the guy's like 100 pounds so it's not that impressive and so we had these different battalion aid stations and there was us and another one at the other end of this training fob because they would have like mock attacks and like it would simulate the sounds of mortar strikes, right? It'd be like a loud whistle and then the bam, whistle and then bam. And they were simulated mortar striking the Bravo BAS. We are an Alpha BAS. And I remember I was listening to the radio at ours and this kid calls for final protective fire <laughs> over the aid station. <laughs> and final protective fire is when you request an artillery barrage. <laughs> on your position because you're about to be overrun 
And the cadre got so pissed that they're like, listen, man, you cannot call for final protective fire on the battalion aid station. You can't do it. Don't even think of something else. And they're just screaming at this kid. He goes, but we're being overrun. Charlie's in the bushes. <laughs> and it was great. It was this great seven-day field op. And we were cleaning weapons out in the middle of the field, right? There is this big, like a chow, an outside picnic table, chow place, just rows of tables, right? So we're cleaning our weapons because we've been firing blanks. And I'm over probably 30 meters off from the grass with a couple of friends. And then I see all these people up on these, these rows of tables and they're singing, right? You know, it's, it, they're singing nineties rock songs, right? All the songs I knew when I was a kid. And it was just this great sing-along moment. And it was a Bonnie thing. And it was, it was, everybody was saying goodbye to each other because we knew the course was ending and this was the end of a great moment. And I knew that it was a moment I would want to remember. And so I grabbed my weapon, I got up and I ran over there and I just joined in on the song. And even though we were saying goodbye to each other as the class of Bravo Company 232 Medical Battalion 07-09, many of us would meet up again after graduation at Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas. I got to Fort Bliss, El Paso, Texas. It was almost a medic school after party because Raj was there. And Raj and I would become pretty solid friends. And I got to know his wife and his five kids. And they had adopted me. I would go over there quite a bit just to get out of the barracks, right? Just to kind of feel like I was a part of the family. And I'd go to Whataburger and get a bunch of like dollar cheeseburgers and come over to Raj's house at Post Housing and I'd grab like a cheeseburger and just like throw it at the kid in the face and then his brother would come and punch him in the face and they'd just be brawling. And it was great playing that uncle role for a while uh, at a time when I was feeling very much alone and very much apart from my own family. So I got to be a part of Raj's family for a little bit. And to this day, well over a decade later, I'm so grateful to that man and his wife and the kindness they showed me when I really needed a place to go, a family to be around. They let me be around theirs. And it was, it was so generous and it was so kind. And then the after party was over. I was sent to the 47th Transportation Company Rear Detachment, where I would spend the next several weeks getting ready to deploy to Iraq. And when I got there, they weren't quite sure if they were going to send us to Iraq or not. Because at the time, 47th Transportation Company had already deployed. And we were considered more bodies to fill more position. And 
there were groups being sent out as late deployers and our group was about nine strong we had a couple ncos that were on the ball they had deployed before and they knew that as late deployers we would go overseas as strangers to the 47th transportation company so it was important for the nine of us to form a sort of a bond before that happened and there's a guy named chris and chris was a cook he's a real solid dude and chris made sure that we were friends chris made sure that we were practically family chris rented out the common area of his apartment complex for us to come over and have dinner and have drinks chris made sure we did everything together and through some sort of divine providence right or you know i was a pfc at the time so conversations were had above my head most likely we happened to be on a run with the post sergeant major and we're running and the post sergeant major's talking to us and at the time i had just enough rank to answer specific questions when the post sergeant major asked them and was very polite and very quiet <laughs> because anything else just seemed like sticking your head out and chris being an e5 when the post sergeant major said hey can i do anything for you chris had had enough experience to know that the question of us deploying was interfering with lots of things right people were breaking leases on their apartments people were selling their cars so chris talked to the post sergeant major and said sergeant major we're ready to go but they're not ready to send us they can't make up their minds can you help us out and surprise surprise about a week and a half later we were in a briefing with post sergeant major post sergeant major said if you want to go to iraq raise your right hand and i will put you on the first flight and at the time i was 22 23 something like that and it was the most patriotic moment I've ever had in my entire entire life because my nation was calling me I could hear the words of the Declaration of Independence going through my head we hold the truth to be self-evident that all men are created equal and I felt a distinct kinship with the soldiers that had been called on to serve and to go into harm's way throughout the centuries right because this was my time this was my chance to go and this was they were asking for hands and iraq 2009 about mid 2009 was a pretty calm part of the war on terror at the time things were as mellow as iraq ever gets right the op tempo was pretty low at that point but still my nation was asking for hands to go in harm's way to defend the interests of the United States. How on earth could I say no? And so I said, yes, I raised my hand. And then the post sergeant major sent around a piece of paper for us to write our names down. And then I called my parents and I told them what happened. And I shared that amazing moment with them. And they told me how proud of me they were. And then after that, 
it was go time. As there was a high probability of us going on convoys, so they were training us to how to react to ambushes. We did these Humvee rollover training classes where, like, you're in a simulated Humvee and it rolls you over and you're not going super fast, but it kind of simulates the idea of, oh, the car turned to the left and it's on its side and we're being shot at, that sort of thing. And in addition to the Humvee rollovers, they had convoy simulators, right? Where it's nothing that you couldn't do in your own basement now, right? You know, it's, it's the shell of a Humvee with buttons that correspond to a computer. You know, they've got the steering wheel and everything. And above your head, there's projectors projecting a 360-degree view all around the room on the walls. So if you close your eyes, you can kind of pretend that it's a real convoy right and i had just seen the 2009 star trek reboot with jj abrams and i had seen captain kirk doing the kobayashi maru and training at the academy and stuff that star trek movie was such a big part of my medic school experience because it was kind of like oh i'm at a training academy i'm kind of like captain kirk right now right and and back at the convoy train simulator at Fort Bliss, we're fake driving and, and like the graphics look something kind of like a PlayStation 2, you know, so it was 10 years out of date back in 2009. So everything was real blocky. It's got like a Laura Croft 1998 vibe to it. And much like Captain Kirk and Kobayashi Maru, the better we did, the harder it seemed to get. The more it went off script, the crazier things happened. Maybe that was just the intent of the guy running the simulator at the time, I don't know. At one point, there were Iraqi terrorists falling from the sky, shooting at us with machine guns, stuff like that. And I remember the night that we left, it was very quiet. Chris was making sure we all had our wallets. He told the acting first sergeant of rear detachment he'd make sure that we contacted our families once we got downrange. And... The rear detachment supply sergeant, knowing that I was a medic, walked up and handed me a combat lifesaver bag. And the combat lifesaver is considered like the first responder, you know, kind of like an assistant medic, you know, someone that was taught some very basic medical stuff, tourniquet placement, that sort of thing. And the 47 Transportation Company, they weren't a medical unit and they didn't really have a whole lot of medical supplies to give me, but they gave me what they could. And I really appreciate that to this day. And I still actually have that bag they gave me over 10 years ago, which is pretty cool. And it was my first experience as a doc. Sometimes when you're a medic, just being around provides a sense of safety and comfort, knowing that there's somebody who could help uh, if something happened, right? I had the sum total of zero firsthand real-world experience at that moment, right? Really nothing outside of training, nothing outside of the practicing with Raj, right? I figured, oh, well, you know, I'll do my best and I'll figure it out as we go. And you work problems as they come to you. And I'm so glad that the trip to Kuwait was my first experience as Doc, right? Because it got to introduce 
to me the concept. I could say, oh, I'm responsible for covering 10 people or nine people or however many we had on the trip over. And it was training wheels, right? Training wheels were awesome because for so many situations as a medic, you don't get your training wheels. So I was so glad that that was my first taste of responsibility as Doc. And I remember walking next to Chris. We were in an airport in the States. And he's telling me, he's telling us, all of us, to soak this in because the world was about to change. We were all Americans and we had grown up with the abundance and the opulence that America has. And we were about to see how the world really was, especially in the third world nations. And then we hopped on that first plane to Germany. And I remember we watched this Tom Cruise movie where he's a German officer during World War II trying to assassinate Hitler so they can end the war early or something, right? As we flew into Germany. And I'm like, well, you know, that's it's on theme. And then from Germany, we flew to Kuwait. And we stayed in Kuwait for about a week, 10 days, and just kind of adjusted to life being different. I called my parents again, and I did not realize that when I called them, it was 4.30 in the morning, uh, American time. So I wrote down the time difference and kept it in my pocket after that. And we adjusted to the new world we found ourselves in, you know, compared to where we came from. It was the dark side of Mars. It was hot. It was very dry. People spoke different languages. We were strangers in a strange land. And there were touchstones of things I recognized, though. There is a sign where it has the familiar golden arches and the red base of the McDonald's logo, but it's in Arabic instead of English. And so we had our first kind of taste of the foreign versions of American food, right? And it was a comfort to see those familiar touchstones of home as we walked around the base in Kuwait and an almost infinite gravel pit where there wasn't gravel, there was sand. It was a way station for people going to different conflict zones, right? Some people were going to Iraq, some people were going to Afghanistan, where they briefed during what you expect, you know, told you what to do in case you got an ambush, and then you had some sensitive equipment on you and they told you to take your gun and shoot the equipment and destroy it before you abandon it, which makes sense. And then we were in this briefing and then he turns off the projector and says, listen, um, I'm just gonna talk to you. And then we're gonna agree that we all had the same briefing. And then he says, if there's any medics or officers in this group, raise your hand. And so I raised my hand along with the uh, officers in the group, which were, there were more of us in there than just my initial little group from El Paso. And he said that, uh, congratulations, you all have bounties on your heads because they knew that the officers and the medics were kind of the glue that held the groups together, right? If the medics and officers were on the ball. And so I kind of nodded and I was like, huh, that's new. <laughs> but I'd never been part of a group that had been specifically singled out for death. So that was kind of a new experience. 
And soon after that, we were sent north to Al-Assad, Iraq, and we met up with the 47th Transportation Company, where it would turn out that Chris was right again. We were scattered and placed to where the local command thought we'd be the most useful. But that was okay, because many of us are still connected a decade plus later. Quite a bit of it is owed to his foresight. So Chris, if you're listening to this, thank you. that is all for me today. I want to thank you for listening. Check back in next Monday morning at 0700. And you better be on time or you'll be late to formation.